What a blessing to have our Pathfinders leading in the worship service today. It's a reminder of our talented young people that we can include in the worship service and in all of our activities. We need our young people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've already been blessed. We've already worshiped. We've already given. We've already heard your word. We've read your word. We feel at peace. Now as we focus on your word again for a few more minutes, please pour out your spirit upon us that we can hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Mark what chapter? 13. 13. It's where we'll be for most of the rest of the morning. The words of Jesus, Mark chapter 13. And let's begin by reading verse 5. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. That last verse is in your study guide. Hope that will be helpful for you today as you follow along. The words of Jesus about what's going to happen before Jesus comes. We see these things taking place in the world today. We see deception taking place. We see wars and rumors of wars. In the Middle East, it's easy to look around the corner and see one of these things happening. Just look in Syria and Turkey and the conflict there. Look down at, in the Gulf in Yemen. Look at Iraq. Look at Iran. Saudi Arabia. United States. And these tensions, these 
conflicts that are reaching a boiling point. We see on the news earthquakes. We see famines all around. Troubles of all kinds. But coming closer to home, what's happened in Lebanon the last two weeks? Protests. Riots. We see fear of what's going to happen in this country. What's going to happen with the money in this country? The economic situation. We see anger against the government leadership. I don't know about you, but I've been checking the news these last two weeks all the time. What's happening? What's happening? Are they still protesting? Are they blocking roads? What's the prime minister saying? What's the president saying? What's uh, Hezbollah saying? It's been a rough two weeks. MEU hasn't had classes. Universities all around the country haven't had classes. Banks have been closed. You can't get money. By the way, Lebanon Section, who's my employer, could not even pay me yet. So I'll collect an offering on the way out. <laughs> they couldn't pay us because the banks are closed. They couldn't transfer the money. Well, Brother Salim worked out something so they could give us a little bit of cash to hold us over. But the rest of the salary stuck. Stuck up there in the cloud waiting to be transferred. When's that going to happen? Hopefully next week. What's going to happen in this country? Where is it going? Is it going to be peaceful like this human chain from south to north holding hands? It's going to be peaceful like that the rest of the way out? Or is this the calm before the storm? The storm of violence, bloodshed, chaos. Here in Mark, Jesus says, tough times are coming upon the world. Terrible times. Persecution is coming. Tribulation is coming. Trials are coming. But he also gives the assurance, when these things happen, don't be afraid. Don't even worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will help you know what to say at that time when you're called before the powers that be to answer for your faith. But when I read these words and I hear what Jesus says, that family members are going to betray each other, that's pretty rough. Parents betraying children. Children betraying parents. Brother betraying brother. How can it get much worse than that? And Jesus says the true followers, his true followers will be hated. By how many people? Everyone. The whole world will be against us, the followers of Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to suffer 
to be persecuted, to be hated, to have your own family members turn against you. I understand this is already the reality in some parts of this world. You become a Christian or you join this church and you leave some other church or some other religion and your family will turn against you. Are you ready for that? Maybe some of you have already done that. But in these last days, Jesus says it's going to happen widespread, not just people from the Middle East. Jesus said the gospel needs to go to all the nations. Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and beyond. Jesus told us many things here. And so we need to be watching. We need to be ready. We see these things taking place in our world. And surely I think we can all agree that hard times are here. And harder times are coming. I believe life is actually going to get much worse before Jesus comes. But Jesus said these last words in verse 13, He who endures until the end will be saved. In other words, don't give up. Don't quit when life gets difficult. Hold on to Jesus in the midst of the storms. But this isn't where we want to end today. We want to continue here with the words of Jesus. Verse 19 down to 23, For in those days there will be tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake... Whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. Jesus warned that false Christs and false prophets would deceive even the elect. You're the elect, beloved, aren't you? You're the elect. We have to be careful. We have to be watchful so we are not deceived. We can't have this Laodicean mindset. We don't, we don't need anything. We're in need of nothing. We have that mindset, we'll be deceived. Notice what Ellen White says in the book Great Controversy, page 624. It's in your study guide. And up on the screen, as the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. The church has long professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. What a powerful deception. Satan knows we've been looking forward to the coming of Jesus for hundreds of years, even thousands of years since he said he would come back 2,000 years ago. So Christians are looking for this coming, and Satan knows it, and so he appears as if he's Christ to deceive the whole world.
even while he's making plans to deceive the whole world. God has plans for the whole world also. Plans to take the gospel to every corner of this globe. Truth and error are colliding in this great controversy. Satan is desperately trying to destroy as many as he can, and God is doing all he can to save as many as accept him. And we're right in the middle of it, right here in the Middle East. Verse 24, let's continue. But in those days, Jesus says, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. Hallelujah. One day we will see him coming in the clouds to get us. Jesus will put an end to the tribulation and the troubles of this crumbling world. So how are we going to be prevented from being deceived by, the, by Satan personating Christ compared to Jesus' actual second coming? How are we going to avoid deception? The Bible, right here, this book, this book is our protection against Satan's counterfeit second coming. This is how we will avoid being deceived. If we know what it teaches regarding the second coming, we won't be deceived by Satan who appears as if he's Jesus Christ. The Bible says clearly that Jesus will come visibly. We saw it right there in verse 26. Just like the disciples saw Jesus ascend into heaven and then a cloud hid him from their sight, Jesus will come back the same way. He'll come back with this cloud, this black cloud about half the size of a man's hand. It's far away, but as it gets closer and closer, it gets brighter and brighter, and pretty soon we see Jesus. And we see all of his angels with him. It's a literal event, the Bible says. It's actually going to happen. Not just a spiritual event, not a mysterious event where people just vanish away and are raptured off. No, no, he comes to get us. The Bible also says it's an audible event. You're familiar with this verse from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a whisper. I'm coming. No, a shout. He's coming back with a shout. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. We have some trumpeters here. Dr. Ron and Dr. Biagi are trumpet players. Maybe some others. You've heard them play. Are those quiet instruments? No. They don't need a microphone even. They can blast us away. They're loud instruments. The second coming of Jesus is going to be loud. It's going to be literal. It's going to be visible. We're going to see it. We're going to hear it. And it's going to be glorious because all the angels will be with Jesus, lighting up the sky. It's not going to be something you see 
on CNN or Al Jazeera or MTV. You don't have to watch the news to see the coming of Jesus. If, in fact, you see him on the news, then you know it's not him. There you have it. So he shows up in, in Dubai, or he shows up in America, or in Rome, or wherever he shows up, the Antichrist power, saying he's Christ. Ah, oh, you know it's not him, because the Bible tells us how he's really going to come. It'll be the most glorious event in human history. Jesus in the sky with millions and millions, billions of angels. No one will miss it. This is our hope as Seventh-day Adventists. This is the only hope for this deeply troubled world. 175 years ago, in October 1844, many people were excitedly expecting the return of Jesus. Through studying prophecies of Daniel, Daniel 8, 14, 2300 day prophecy, they understood that the sanctuary would be cleansed. And the sanctuary, they thought, was the earth. So Jesus was going to come, deliver them, and cleanse the world. William Miller was the leader of this Advent movement. He and many of his followers, last night during the skit uh, that uh, students did for us here, reminded us how widespread this was. How many people were part of this movement? 100,000. Huge. This is not something small. Remember, this is 1844, by the way, before we had these massive cities with millions of people in Beirut and so forth. 100,000 plus. Big movement. They had read this passage from Revelation chapter 6 and verses 12 and 13, which says, I watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. These signs of the second coming had recently taken place in those days. The great earthquake happened in Portugal. Where's our Portuguese friends? Portugal. The Great Lisbon Earthquake. November 1, 1755. The estimated magnitude of this earthquake was 8.5 to 9, and it affected many countries throughout Europe and North Africa, and it killed over 60,000 people. This was a big event back in 1755. 55. So this was prophesied by the Bible. It was fulfilled. What about the sun being darkened? This happened May 19, 1780 in the northeast part of the United States, just 25 years after the great earthquake. Remember, so follow the timeline here. See how it builds. What happened on this dark day when the sun was darkened? Well, it started about 10 o'clock in the morning and was dark most of the rest of the day. What's going on? Some mysterious, thick, 
darkness, as if it's night. Notice what Ellen White says about this dark day in Great Controversy, page 308. Since the time of Moses, no period of darkness of equal density, extent, and duration has ever been recorded. What's she referring to? Plague of darkness, right? In Egypt, you think that was pretty dark? That's pretty dark. This darkness was like that. Pretty dark. Kind of scary. What's happening? Is it the end of the world? The same night, the moon came up and turned the color of blood. Whew. Now the people are really beside themselves. It's got to be the end of the world. Dark day, blood red moon. But that's not all. Jesus and John the Revelator said that the stars would also fall. This prophetic event was fulfilled November 13, 1833, visible in most of North America. Notice what Ellen White says about this. She says in 1833, two years after Miller began to present in public the evidences of Christ's soon coming, the last of the signs appeared which were promised by the Savior as tokens of his second advent. Are you seeing how this builds? Great Earthquake 1755, Dark Day 1780, Blood Red Moon 1780, Falling of the Stars 1833, 1831, William Miller's preaching the second coming of Jesus. Momentum's building. All the signs are happening. People are studying their Bibles, preparing for the second coming of Jesus. And these signs in nature just added emphasis to what Miller was saying, to what they read in their Bibles. And so people, not just in North America, but in Europe, in Africa, in Asia and beyond, were hearing, this is the end of the world. Jesus is about to come. These signs in nature were a wake-up call to a world that was sleeping in relation to the second coming of Jesus. But if your Bible is still opened in Mark 13... Notice that these signs in nature were to take place after the tribulation had ended. So let's think about the timeline now. The Great Lisbon Earthquake, 1755, Dark Day, 18, uh, sorry, 1780. These events are happening as the tribulation is coming to an end. When did the tribulation occur? Well, your Bible scholars... Bible students, you know, 15, uh, 538 to 1798, the 1,260 days of Bible prophecy, this is the time span of the persecution, of the tribulation. But you remember Jesus said that these days would be shortened. So how do we see the earthquake happening before the end? Because it's shortened. The dark day before the end is because the time was shortened. And the persecution was almost completely over. So it fits when we see what the Bible is saying. And so for William Miller and the Advent believers, these events were very recent history, especially this falling of the stars, just 10 years before the great excitement pushing them towards 
the second coming of Jesus expected in 1844. But you know what happened. Miller and his followers were greatly disappointed because Jesus didn't come October 22, 1844. And if you missed Vespers last night, you missed something because they talked about how they felt when they were disappointed like that. They wept and they wept. It was a sad day, a sad night, a sad month as they went beyond that time. But this is just as the Bible said it would happen. Revelation chapter 10, verse 10 said, the opening of the little book of Daniel would be sweet in their mouth. It was. Jesus is coming soon. It's exciting. 1844, October 22. Don't plant the crops. Don't work in your business. Everything. Get ready for Jesus to come. Repent of your sins. It's sweet in our mouth. We're almost going to be delivered. But it was bitter in their belly when he didn't come. They were bitterly, bitterly disappointed. And so some people point at that and they say, look, you Adventists are crazy. You are fanatics. You're date setters and will never be part of you because of that. You erred in a huge way and you prophesied you, you are a date setter. We'll never be part of you. You guys are crazy. That's what some people say. Because of the great disappointment. But let me remind you, and let me remind the naysayers, almost 2,000 years before the great disappointment happened, the disciples of Jesus Christ also experienced a great disappointment. So if we discount the Advent movement just because of this mistake, does that mean we discount all of Christianity because the disciples made a big mistake? Of course not. They thought Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom. But instead, the authorities had him crucified. All of their hopes, all of their dreams died when Jesus died. But the disciples should have known better. Jesus had told them plainly that he would be killed and he would be resurrected the third day. But apparently, it went in one ear and out the other. And they didn't understand. So if the disciples of Jesus experienced a great disappointment, it's also understandable that, the, that Christ's followers were greatly disappointed when he did not come in October 1844. But think with me a little bit longer about this. The disciples' great disappointment ended a few days later on Resurrection Sunday. So how long was their disappointment? But a few days. What about those who experienced the great disappointment in 1844? Did they ever see Jesus come? Was their disappointment ever erased because they saw him in the clouds? They didn't. They are all dead. But Jesus did not leave them or abandon them during those dark days of disappointment. Many of them fell to their knees asking God to help them understand where they had erred in interpreting the Bible. 
And God led his people through deep Bible study, sometimes studying the Bible all night, to understand correctly the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, to find out where they had gone wrong. Additionally, two months after the great disappointment of October 22, 1844, in the month of December, God gave Ellen Harmon, who later became Ellen White, her first vision. And you know how it happened? It was prayer meeting. Prayer meeting's important, by the way. Praying together. They're praying together. Ellen and four other ladies are praying together when God takes her off in her first vision. And I want to share that the first paragraph of her first vision with you. While we were praying, the power of God came upon me as I had never felt it before. I seemed to be surrounded with light and to be rising higher and higher from the earth. I looked for the Advent people in the world but could not find them. When a voice said to me, look again and look a little higher. At this I raised my eyes and saw a straight and narrow path cast up high above the world. On this path the Advent people were traveling toward the city. Behind them, at the beginning of this path, was a bright light, which an angel told me was the midnight cry. This light shone all along the path, that their feet might not stumble. Now get this line, which is in your study guide, also on the screen. Jesus himself went just before his people to lead them forward. And as long as they kept their eyes fixed on him, they were what? They were safe. But soon some grew weary and said the city was a great way off and they expected to have entered it before. And Jesus would encourage them by raising his glorious right arm from which came a light that waved over the Advent band and they shouted, Alleluia! Others rashly denied the light behind them and said it was not God that had led them out so far. The light, went out, the light behind them went out, leaving their feet in perfect darkness. And they stumbled and lost sight of the mark and of Jesus. And when they lost sight of Jesus, she says, they fell off the path down into the dark and wicked world below. I hope you can see this picture of her first vision. No doubt this vision encouraged many people in her day. But what about us? 175 years later, I propose that the message for us is the same as it was for them. What's the message? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you'll be able to stay on the straight and narrow path to the heavenly city. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and we will be safe. He will empower us to endure until the end. But let's go back to the great disappointment. The 11 disciples were disappointed for just a few days between Jesus' death and resurrection. But the Adventists have been disappointed for 175 years. So why hasn't Jesus come? How much longer will it be? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You say, Pastor, why hasn't he come? I point you to this text. This is one clear explanation from the Bible why Jesus hasn't come yet. He is patient. He is much more patient than I am and much more patient than you are. He is patient, not wanting anybody to be lost, but everybody to be saved. He wants all the six million plus people in Lebanon to be saved. He wants the 18 million in Syria, the 38 million in Iraq, the 10 million in Jordan to be saved. But beyond that, he wants the 81 million people in Iran and the 80 million in Turkey. How can we wrap our minds around that many people even? Hundreds of millions, billions of people. What about the 98 million in Egypt, the 40 million in Sudan, the 33 plus million in Saudi Arabia, and more and more in the Gulf countries? Whew. And we're this small little Advent band here in Lebanon, 200 or so of us. He's patient, not wanting any of those people to be lost. But how much long-suffering patience does Jesus have? After all, even faithful Noah preached that the flood was coming for 120 years, but then time was up. Hollis, the flood came. The wicked were destroyed, and everybody on the boat was saved. Adventists have been preaching for 175 years that Jesus would come. More than, longer than Noah preached about the flood. So when will time be up? I wish I could tell you. But the Bible says, no one knows the day or the hour of his return. Only God knows. Yet, many years ago, Ellen White wrote these words. She said, the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. I don't know if you've heard the word stupendous lately, but I haven't. So I looked up, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means enormous, overwhelming. So the world is on the verge of an overwhelming, enormous, stupendous crisis. So we could quickly speculate on what that crisis is, what, what that crisis will be, couldn't we? World War III, got to be it. Big war in the Middle East. What is it going to be? Is our beloved Lebanon going to be embroiled in another war and be wiped off? Will there be a nuclear war? One nuclear bomb, one nuclear bomb. Pretty soon, millions are dead, just in minutes. We can only speculate. But what the Bible does tell us is that at the end of time, there will be a financial crisis, which will hit the whole world before Jesus comes. 
At that time, the Bible says, only those who receive the mark of the beast will be able to buy or sell. We think the crisis in Lebanon is bad where I can't get paid yet. <laughs> Wait till, even if you have money, you can't use it. Because the only way you can buy or sell is if you have that mark. The mark of the beast. That's going to be a huge crisis. So will you and I be faithful to God or will we cave and go with the beast just so we can buy some bread? So we can buy some water? So we can live? Or are we going to trust God for our bread, our water, everything we need? The numerous problems spanning the globe are causing presidents, prime ministers, and parliaments to struggle to find solutions. Corruption, that's what this protest is about, right? In Lebanon, corruption. Well, it's not news to you, but the whole world is corrupt. America is corrupt. Europe's corrupt. Africa's corrupt. Corruption is a worldwide problem. And the governments of the world are struggling with many issues. On every side, there are challenges, huge problems. And some governments are trying their best to find the solutions. But I would propose to you that there's no solution to all of these problems in this world. The only solution is a divine solution. When Jesus will come. That's the solution to all the world's problems, including the financial crisis that's coming upon the world. So, will Jesus come in the next five years, ten years? Wish I could tell you. I don't know. I hope so, because I don't want to bury any more of my family members. I don't want to bury any of you. I don't want this world of wickedness to continue indefinitely. Will he come in five or ten years? We don't know. Ellen White says the final movements will be rapid ones. Rapid ones. Could we be in that time period where the final events will rapidly take place and quickly Jesus will be showing up in the sky? But sometimes, and now stick with me here, don't check out yet. Sometimes I think we're asking the wrong question when we ask, when is Jesus coming? Maybe a better question to ask is this. Am I and my family spiritually prepared for the end of the world? Are we ready for the coming of Jesus? Are we being faithful to God in all areas of our lives? As we close today, I appeal to you to be connected to Jesus. Have an enduring relationship with him. Endure to the end. Hold on to Jesus no matter what trials you're facing now or what trials you'll face in the future. Keep your eyes on Jesus so your feet can stay on the straight and narrow path, so you don't fall off into the wicked world below. 
Jesus is coming. And whether he comes in five years or ten years, does it really matter to you or to me? Or should we be faithful no matter when he comes? From today onward. So if he comes tomorrow, we're ready. If he comes in five years, we're ready. Because we're faithful. Jesus' second coming is our great hope. Our only hope for this doomed planet. When he comes, whenever that is, may we be found faithful waiting and eagerly watching for his appearing. Amen.